Count Mondego set me up. But I'll not hang for him. I'm the Count of Monte Cristo, but my friends call me Edmond Dantes. Toxis. Cut him down before he can't talk. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Ginger Flicks. I'm Joey. I'm Josh. And happy first week of February. And we draw closer and closer to what will be a full calendar year in uh, this business known as a pandemic. How exciting is that? Boom. Yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so in light of that, um, we've just been digging up. Older movies and movies, I think, like, well, how old would you say you and I were uh, high school age when this came out, right? Oh, I know when this came out. I was 17. <laughs> I remember I was still at dance. I, uh, I saw this movie, I believe, before I went to dance, like that day, whatever day that was. So it was like 2002. I was probably, I don't think I turned 18 yet. So yeah, it was probably like 17. Like, so yeah, we were like 16, 17 when this came out. So this is, uh, a, a, I guess, a relative deep dive, at least for us anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josh, what movie did we watch? We watched the movie, the 17th movie adaptation or some sort of adaptation of The Count of Monte Cristo. I think this is like the most recent one, isn't it? It's possible. I I don't know. Don't quote me on that. And (laughs) And, I don't know. Besides this movie and the Simpsons uh, take on it. um, (laughs) I don't know. I have. I don't think I've ever seen another adaptation. And I know there were I I believe there were older movies, you know, in, uh, you know, post silent movie era. Uh, I do. I don't remember what year. It might have been the one from the '60s that V for Vendetta actually references in that movie. Yeah, it's possible, right? Yeah, it's possible because the character V, um, you know, with that whole what is it, uh, Guy um, Guy Fox? With Guy the- Fox, yeah, that, but that's a whole nother thing, right? With the Guy Fox mask. Yeah, but it's it's more like how um, the whole, almost the story of like not vigilantism, but kind of re- starting out as revenge, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is similar to the Count of Monte Cristo. You know, the guy having been done wrong. Um, you know, and then. Well, V's storyline, anyways, in regards to V for Vendetta, is is that right? Where his whole um, motivation is revenge, much like how the lead in this, which yeah. is Edmund Dantes, is yeah. sort of the same deal, right? And so, I mean, if you don't remember the Count of Monte Cristo, which is highly possible, it's been a while. Uh, so it starts out where 
Um, Edmund Dantes is like the first mate of like a merchant ship or whatever. I think he's the second mate, isn't he? Is he okay? He's the second mate, right? Because someone else is the first yeah, mate. Isn't uh, yeah, Fernan the first isn't Fernand like the captain or the other guys? No, no, no. Yeah. So no, Fernand played by Gear, uh, Guy Pierce, uh, the um, what's his name, Count Mondego, right? No. He no. is not, he's not, he's just the son of Count Mondego, who right. I think owns the shipment he owns that's like, being brought in. Maybe he owns the company or something. No, no, he doesn't. He's paying for, like, his father is paying for those goods to right. be brought in. Right, right, so, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you um, think about it, the, the ship is the, like, um, delivery service and he owns the ship he owns whatever is being uh chartered across and so right. he's really like they're best friends and they end up somehow i guess they they find their way to elba which is the first island or part of the world that napoleon bonaparte was exiled to mm-hmm. <laughs> right um so apparently though this whole section is actually just for this movie yeah the, the whole, whole napoleon uh, the whole meeting napoleon everything because yeah. i think the novel starts where they're already coming back and they mention it um they meant i mean we've i've never read the books so i don't know but they they mention it upon the return that he had spoken to napoleon and all that stuff well, yeah, like in the book, it's just Edmund telling the events of him ending up on Alba. And then in the movie, they thought it was a better idea to actually show it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know what? You know how we've talked in this podcast with some of these, some of, some of them, the, the movies we've, you know, reviewed, where the one classic thing in cinema writing, cinematic writing, whatever, is show, don't tell. And this one, they do show. Like they're showing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they show it, and it just made for a more interesting sort of um, story arc, right? And it gave yeah. you something. It, it gave you more than just telling it, because I feel like if they had just told us this happened, much like the book, and for all we know, the other versions of Count of Monte Cristo, because this is the only one I've actually seen. Yeah, me too. Right. So, I mean, that being said, I think, you know, this was a better idea to just show us mm -hmm. that whole exchange. And again, though, it's it's so small, but the events obviously that happened on the island set everything in motion. Yeah, it's right. That's what's, that's what's good about it. There's not there's not a whole lot of exposition in this movie. You literally just follow the plot from point A to point B. Well, it's like a two-hour runtime. Yeah, but there's no it's like two hours plus. But it does not feel like because there's no people telling you, oh, yeah, this is what happened and this is what needs to happen. It's just you are literally following. You follow Edmund Edmond the whole time. Mm. Watch he as he realizes how he's been done wrong, and you see his plan unfold. And what's crazy is, you know, all he says for the plan is. No, he wants revenge. That's it. You know how like so many other movies are like, this is what we're gonna do. 
this is what's going to happen. We actually don't even know what his actual plan is. And that's what's kind of cool about it, is you literally follow him. Because it has been a few years since I've seen this movie. And, you know, for the most part, you know, it, I, I remember, like, everything that happened. But the one I forgot was, and you called it, is when he mentioned, is when his assistant, Jacopo, mentions the gold. And the way they film it is that he actually, you know, blurts that out and he wasn't supposed to. But he was supposed to say it so the kid, you know, future Superman. He yep, really, Henry Cavill himself. Yeah, Henry Cavill. The superest of men. He relays it to his dad. Again, it's, it was all so smartly planned. And what's so cool is that, first of all, we are the audience with Edmond, except for the fact, except for the fact that we knew um, that Clarion, Clarion, Clarion was, ah, uh, crap, you know, the, that guy's dad. We saw that. But besides that, everything else we figure out with him. Yeah, that that guy that was in what season one like or Gotham? two of Gotham. Yeah, where he was like Azrael or whatever. Yeah, Azrael from Gotham. Mm. <laughs> Regan, that's it. Like that's yeah. what's cool about this movie, and it's just it's two hours, and by all it does not feel like two hours. Yeah, you do not that, feel it at all. Yeah. And because of what actually happens, you know, this kind of a movie is a like. You could think of it as either like a swashbuckler, like, you know, it's supposed to be like old school sword fights, but there's actually not that much in there. It's very much just a very plot driven movie as opposed to a, you know, action sequence, um, adventure kind of film. I think had this movie been done in a different era, which it has, yeah, it would have been much more of a, a swashbuckler. But I think this one, this version itself. Or the, it would be really slow. Yeah. So this one really, it leans into character being character driven, but it's not slow moving. No, it isn't. It doesn't move slow. I Honestly, like before we even talk more, I have always felt that this is one of the most underrated films of at least the 21st century. You know, it's got a decent rating on IMDb and all that. I don't know how it did, um, uh, you know, uh, box office-wise or anything like that. But I remember right. as a teenager. And again, I'm not a huge, like, I don't like these period movies very much. Uh -huh. you know, I remember watching what, Three Musketeers when I was a kid. I've seen right. Shakespeare uh, adaptations. But again, those sometimes those feel so long. Like the one, the Kenneth Branagh, like, three-hour Hamlet feels oh long. gosh like it feels long it's good so because Kevin Brown is amazing but this one it's just no the whole time you're engaged the acting is great between like Caviezel and Guy Pierce and you know ah uh, so I, I yeah it's so underrated man like more people need to watch this movie so like it opened so when it when uh it, its budget was at like 35 million dollars it opened at just over um, 11 million. Mm -hmm. So it didn't have a strong like box office opener. Yeah. But it's US gross was like 54 million over 54 million. So it made its money, but it didn't make it like right away. Yeah. Cuz I I I I feel like this movie 
had the unfortunate um, hindrance of that they just didn't actually do a good job of marketing it. They did. They, they they didn't spend that much on marketing. I remember seeing the the trailers for it, but that's just because you know I liked movies. <laughs> you know, I've all we've always liked movies. Well, we've always been in the movies. Like <laughs> we've both seen this trailer. Like the I I know the trailer just because we saw it in the theaters watching another movie. Yeah, but like it's not like it 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 didn't do like I I feel like a film like this should have had a better opening weekend. It, right? It, you know what? If it was made even two years later, like, or a year later. I think also it, what hurts it, though, it was released in January. So they didn't really have yeah. any expectations on yeah. it anyways. Exactly. January is generally, generally, when the movies kind of dump, or the like, the studios dump the movies they don't have that much confidence in. Because January is a slow month for movies. So they're just like, yeah. send it out, whatever. And... Uh, but like I said, if it, if it was released, like even a year or two years later, you know, after Pirates of the Caribbean, it probably would have made a little more money. It has, it doesn't have that fantastical aspect to it, but it has, it has that, you know, it's got the sword fights in it. It's got, they could have played on that. I think at that point, I mean, there weren't, they just weren't making movies like this that like up until 2002, like around that time. Or they were making successful ones, so people were like, "What do we do with this?" And this is another adaptation of a classic novel. Like, do people care about that? So I get why they released it in January. But if it was released like maybe a year later or two years, it probably would have made more money because Pirates of the Caribbean was a runaway hit, right? I think what helped Pirates though was the fact that it had the ridiculousness of Johnny Depp's choices. Like they were out there. <laughs> It's like after that, you know, that became a franchise, which I don't think they ever intended that to be a franchise, but it did because, yeah, arguably its success is just due to Johnny Depp, like not much else. If you had another actor in that role in the first movie anyway. I mean, like it, the other thing, too, with this movie is like they didn't ha like who were the two biggest names were honestly Guy Pierce. And Richard Harris to me, and like at this time in um, at least Jim Caviezel's career, no one knew who the heck he was yet. He had, yeah, he had only done like bit stuff. I know he, ah, I, oh man, I should have looked this up. I know he was in, there was like a movie he did with Dennis Quaid called Frequency, which is not a great movie, but I remember liking it actually. It had to do with like time travel through like a radio or a walkie talk, like a CB radio or whatever it is. Oh yeah, and, sounds, um, that sounds cool. Yeah, like it's like his dad died. I think his dad was like a firefighter, Dennis Quaid, and he ends up like trying to save him through talking to him. Like it's it's a very weird premise, but I remember enjoying it. And I think he was in like, yeah, Frequency out in two thousand. Yeah, so it was out before that, and I think he was in. It was either the Thin Red Line or Saving Private Ryan. Ah, um, uh, Thin Red Line. Yeah, okay. So he was in that, and I think he was one of the major players in that one, even though that was an ensemble movie as well with, like, you know, Sean Penn. Uh, he was in G.I. Jane, but again, he played, like, a small part in that, yeah. I'm I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah, so it was, like, late 90s, early 2000s is when he really started to get his na name yeah. more familiarized with these bigger budget movies, right? 
So, but it's true. Guy Pierce, and I didn't even know who Richard Harris was. Yeah. Like, I don't know who that was. I knew who Guy Pierce was. And I can't even tell you why I knew Guy Pierce because I hadn't seen Memento at the time, but I'd probably seen him in other movies. But <laughs> maybe, like, I, even Jim Caviezel, after like, um, Passion of the Christ, he kind of just has a drop off. Yeah. And doesn't do much. Well, anything of note, really, that anybody would know of. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't heard anything else of anything else. Unless Outlander is the series, or is it just some movie about the thing? I don't know. No, it has nothing to do about the movies. Never mind about the about the series Outlander. It, Never mind. <laughs> it makes you wonder because we have two ties. You know, you have Henry Cavill, who excuse me, who plays Superman now. Um, yes. And fingers crossed, he is still playing him now. After post this in new projects, uh, post Snyder Cut. Uh, well, it, I think it all tend. It all depends on how well. the on how well it gets received, oh. which I am so skeptical about. And we have to bring Dash back. We will bring Dash back. <laughs> um, you and I, I know we'll have many a conversation talking about it because yeah, uh, oh, of course, <laughs> whatever. But uh, <laughs> but we have Henry Cavill in this movie in Count of Monte Cristo, a very young Henry Cavill. I think he was only. S- 17 um during the time of filming yeah he's he's actually only like a few i think months or like not that much younger than uh dagmar the the woman dagmar Dalman, she's seven years, she's seven years older than him okay so it's still that's not a lot so she's like 24 <laughs> playing a 17 year old mom <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Oh, but, but she's fine. Anyway, she um, is a very pretty woman. Yes. <clears throat> Anywho, um, but you no, you have Henry Cavill, and then at the time after this movie had been released, you know they're consistently casting for the next Superman. And I remember during Superman Returns, well, prior to they had thrown Henry Cavill's name out out there, yep. as Superman, and this is when he was only twenty one. Maybe twenty two and and Jim Caviezel and, and I think you and I have actually had the discussion that we thought Jim Caviezel would have been a pretty good Superman. It, you know what, Jim Caviezel? I think he's about the same height as Brandon Routh. Like the both those guys are like six four. Like they're big. Dudes. Yeah, they're pretty tall dudes. You know, Henry Cavill's tall. He's six feet. But you got yeah. like a six four guy. If you got Jim Caviezel buffed, like you have Henry Cavill buffed, like he would be an imposing dude. You know, if you think about oh, him, for sure, Schwarzenegger, who, as you just found out, was up for this role. He was offered the role of Edmund Tontes very early in production. Can you believe that? <laughs> Look, the accents in this movie were already. I am the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. All I have is my revenge. I will have my vengeance. Well, you know what would happen, right? <laughs> he'd get thrown in the carriage at the beginning of the movie. He'd look at Guy Pierce and be like, I'll be back. Like, that would have been it. And he just, and his escape would just rip the bars. He wouldn't be able to fit in the tunnel that Richard well, he Harris would be does. punching the wall, old boy style. <laughs> and he would break through it. Like, <laughs> get this cell. Y'all done. He just he just bust through it. Hell, he would just walk through it. You I know? swear he would ru- he would have ruined it. And he would have been 
like 55 when this movie came out, but he still would have been like, ah, just like, <laughs> it's nothing. Ah, it's, okay. <laughs> it's like, why? You know what? I'd they, still see yeah, it. I don't even care. I, I would I'd see it, but it would, it would not be as good as oh. it is now. I mean, I, the other big name in this is Luis Guzman himself. Oh, the legend. The legend, the man, the myth, <laughs> Luis Guzman. I, I mean, we joke, but I love him. He's hilarious. I and, I, and I think this is like, I feel like this is one of the few movies where he actually gets to take on a much more serious and a little bit more dramatic sort of uh, a role. Yeah, it's funny because he's one of those guys you know, there are certain people, like, let's say Kevin Hart, for example. I haven't seen yeah. him in so many dramatic things. You know, there was the upside. I didn't really see that. Uh, not really. I didn't see it, period. But it's one of those things, like, no matter what Kevin Hart says, even in Central Intelligence, where he's supposed to be the straight guy, he's <laughs> funny the way he says Yeah, he's, he's supposed to be the, the, the straight man. And we mean straight man in regards to comedy, where you have... Yeah, comedy duo, right? The yeah in that movie is the wacky funny guy and kevin hart is the straight man but the way yeah he uh the way he delivers his dialogue or just his mannerisms his body language is still funny and it's it's just it's just the way it is right it's kind of like zach galifianakis same thing that guy no matter what he says it's gonna be funny you know more or less i'm not saying literally everything he you know, i mean but like I, I like to see comedians doing something a little bit more serious granted oh, yeah. this isn't this isn't like a full-on drama per se i mean it's it's a very dramatic film it's obviously not a comedy mm -hmm. right but it's always good to see where a comedian can take it because i mean to be a comedian or a comedic actor itself, it's almost twice as hard to be a dramatic actor because with comedy, you have to apply timing as well as, you know, knowing your lines. Wait, wait, do, you mean, do you mean that it's harder to be, it's harder to do comedy? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. You, you, yeah. You the other way. Yeah. Most, most, but it's true. Most actors will say it's 10 times harder to do comedy because yeah. you have, you're going for a laugh. And you don't know, like you have to exactly just like you said, it's timing, it's delivery. Well, I mean, look at okay, for example, I mean, we had this conversation recently, but like the the Ghostbusters reboot, everybody in that movie is a very funny comedic actor. Yeah. Everyone. But they're just going right? to laugh. But oh. again, that was that was another that was something that didn't work obviously <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you know on paper is what i'm trying to say that should have been good yes right that's how hard comedy is right where you have even the best comedic actors have some of the biggest like just financial flops in their filmography just because comedy is that hard yeah yeah 100 percent. right and and not to take away from you know Actors the like of Daniel Day Lewis, or you know these A-list actors who you know pump out uh, dramatic role after dramatic role, but you know I I'd like to see them in a comedy, see how they do in that setting. But that's when you look at guys, right. But that's when you look at guys like Tom Hanks, who started out in comedy and then arguably became the best actor of his generation, right? Same thing but with yeah, that, that's 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 the craziest thing though, and that's why I would argue that comedic actors can possibly even be considered better actors because of 
what's needed in terms of playing a comedic role or doing a comedic film well. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, and look at uh, how look, look at, I mean, if you want to look at legit, like people think of comedians, you would go to a Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler, right? Those guys, and they've been, they have pulled off quite well those dramatic roles. You know, yeah, they've been, they've managed to make the switch and do it well. Yeah, and and going going back to Louise Guzman, it, it I like him in this. I think he's great. Yeah. It's a small role and he doesn't do much, but well, I think he's good. It's it's small, but his presence is felt as soon as soon as Edmond is out of prison, right? The second half of the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Which is it's not even the it's before the third act. Um. So it's like the second, at least the last hour of the movie, I believe he's in it and he's, his presence is felt. And yeah, like some things he says are funny because they're kind of meant to be that way, but he actually does it with, you know, certain moments. Like for example, the scene in the carriage where he lets uh, Mercedes in there and then, you know, Edmond loses it on. What's cool about this movie too, is that. You know, Edmond, you can tell he's getting consumed by revenge. And he is he is so close to crossing a line. Like, so all of his actions honestly are this is the best revenge movie or story, I think, of all time. It's gotta be, you know, like this and the only thing I'm thinking close to is like Kill Bill. Like, you know, like these two are, you know, even though Kill Bill's two thousand in the two thousands, right? But this is such a great... Uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition, though, if you think about it, like with Kill Bill, for example. Yeah. Right? Well, Kill Bill, she just wants to kill him, right? Yeah. I mean, Edmund wants to do so much more. He wants to ruin both, uh, you know, Guy Pierce and... Um, Guy's out to ruin lives, bro. Like, he doesn't want just to... Just ruin lives. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's so... But it's, it's so beautiful. Like, this story is so good but what I it is it is so well executed and it's just like it, it, it even goes back to just like the source material itself is that good i mean it wouldn't be considered a literary classic if it wasn't and it wouldn't have been adapt adapted as many times as it has if it wasn't yeah so it's it's always interesting to see what has been adapted and what works and what doesn't work mm-hmm. right um but but going back you know because both tend to sometimes go on tangents. <laughs> That's about, okay. That's what we're supposed to do. But we were talking about, you know, Luis Guzman. And so sometimes when you have these kind of movies, whether it is a, uh, uh, a hero or the villain, when they have their sidekick, sometimes the sidekick tends to be disrespected, right? And this wasn't the case. It, but it was so, like, that's the thing. It was so close to being, but it wasn't because there's that scene in the carriage. He lets Mercedes in. Uh, you know, she knows he's Edmond and she's, she's letting him have it kind of thing. And right. Yeah. And she's, and he, he is, and Edmond is fighting so hard because he obviously still loves her and she obviously still loves him, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have all the information yet. He just thinks she left him as soon as he died or was pr- pronounced dead and that's it. Yeah. Like she didn't even like care basically. Yeah, that's I, I, that, what, what gets me. What really gets me, sorry to go back on another tangent and to go back with this movie, is <laughs> uh, Mondego's, like, just his entire motivation 
is solely because he is that spoiled bratty kid. Yeah, that's Ooh. literally it. He just he has everything that Edmond doesn't have: wealth, prosperity, uh, a, a future laid out for him. Like he's got everything. Like success, he's successful without having success. to do anything. He's born into success, right? Yeah. But, but the thing is, it's like, you know, when they say money doesn't buy you happiness, that's clearly the case with yeah, with Vernon, right? Yeah, with uh, with Count Mondego. Right? That's that's clearly the case with him. But anyway, what I keep trying to say is that with the Mercedes thing, Edmond knew that Jacopo let her in the carriage and tried to set it up. And he threatens him right there. He's like, you pull this again and I'll kill you. Yeah. Jacopo yeah. just says like, and it, this is the thing. Like, I'm not saying Luis Guzman is the best actor because, you know, he's not the greatest actor. I enjoy him in things. Like, I'm not denying that. But his line delivery here when he says, I swore an oath that I protect you. And that even means from yourself. And you see like right there, Edmond is at a loss for words because he doesn't actually, like he, he does care about Jacopo. You see that at the end of the movie, the three people he cares about in his life are now Jacopo, Mercedes, and his son, and the, the three yeah. of them. That's his life, and that's that's a gr- like that's why again that's why the movie ends. So I think, but but and you and I both went on this had this conversation earlier too. Was that we honestly felt like this is uh, this could be considered one of Luis Guzman's best roles? Yeah, as Jacopo, he, he didn't. What have bugs me role. though is he's supposed to be the best knife fighter ever, and he only got into one knife fight. He and he into, lost. He got into one knife fight and lost real fast. <laughs> lost real, real fast. And then <laughs> he throws the knife at the end. And I was like, man, again, again, in a movie like this. And again, I don't know how the book actually, everything goes down. I do know for a fact. Oh, no, hold on. But in, again, in a movie like this, you'd have that character, Luis Guzman, sacrifice himself for Edmond. Yeah. Right? That's what it would be. And I'm glad he's still alive because... Usually the funny, the sidekick, you know, they do live. Expendable. What's that? They're dispendable. Sometimes they are. Dip- yeah, they're expendable. They're they can die or whatever. <laughs> but uh, what's interesting to me, again, so people, if you haven't watched this movie or read the book, uh, for me, I say watch the movie because it's such a good movie. And but you know, I'm not gonna just. Dis- if you're still interested, read the book. I mean, <laughs> I'm it not is a-, a classic piece of literature. It it literally is a classic. <laughs> like I'm not gonna disparage that, but if you want to watch the movie, <laughs> don't even bother with the book. Yeah, forget books. It's 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 get a little it slow. <laughs> get it on tape or get you know braille. I don't know. Um, <laughs> wow. Don't you but, have to learn braille first? So okay, learn braille, and then yeah, you don't even get it don't on braille. Just like feel it on your fingers. Like that would be sick. But also I, the- I still think you need to know what you're feeling. That's the same. You got to learn it. You learn the bumps. Yeah, learn Braille. We'll wait. Oh, no. Oh, so pause the podcast right now. <laughs> Go learn Braille. And then come back. Read the book in Braille, specifically Braille. I don't know why. But why not? <laughs> what I say. Um, and I guess, I guess our blind, if we have any blind members of the audience, you're already ahead oh, of everyone else. Oh, God. Just so you all know, I was registered with the blind. I'm allowed to say this. Yeah, but you're not saying anything right now. I'm going on the rant. You're, 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 you're associated. I, I guess. Huh? But anyway, so 
Uh, where are we going with this? Okay. Uh, we just told our audience to learn Braille. Before that, what was I saying? <laughs> just uh, how this was a classic, I guess. Like, I guess. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> Damn it, Joe. You ruined Christmas. <laughs> what gets me, though, and we actually noticed this after having watched this and discussing a little bit, that we kind of grew up with someone who was like Monte. Yeah, he was the worst. Yeah. But he would do. But it's like, what? What? What's? What's appalling and surprising is that people like this actually exist. It's there are people who it is. have advantages. Okay. Well, here's so, okay. Here's, here's what I was gonna say. Here's what I was gonna say. I remember now. In the book, from what I understand, uh, Mondego and Dantes are not friends beforehand. They huh? are they are not actually like that close or something. I don't know. So I know, I don't know in what capacity they actually know each other. Maybe it's just through work. I don't know. Um, but they made the choice to make them, to have them start out as friends for the movie. I like that part though. Oh, same. I think the- I really do. I think it adds Ooh. another layer. The emotional impact is so much more uh, brutal, right? Because it's like, if it's a stranger, you're like, you're always kind of wondering like, well, who is this guy? As opposed to, I know this person. Mm-hmm. Or at least, oh yeah, it just, at least you think yeah. you do. Right. And that's yeah. what makes it yeah. so much more gut wrenching, especially because Edmond, you know, pre prison, he is just this gentle, like nice guy. Like he's a good, soul. he's naive to the world around him. I mean, naive, like, like <laughs> He's naive enough to think that a letter from the former dictator of his country, you know what I mean? I mean, the former self self anointed emperor, because he was self anointed. He could, it could be argued, he was the reason why the French Revolution had a little blip. Let's call it right, um, but. The fact that Edmund thinks it's an innocent note mm-hmm. is a- enough to show you how naive of a character he is. Yeah, no, and I 100% agree. I think he's because he just sees the good in people. And again, what's crazy is he was so close to not going to jail. Like he was so close because the guy sending him there, the I'm not the warden, but you know, whoever he is, uh, some higher up police official, uh, he. He looked at him like, yeah, this guy's a, he, he means well, you know, it's one of those, okay, you had no yeah. idea what you're doing because you're just, you're not dumb. He's like, that's the thing. Edmund's not dumb. He's just really naive and he hasn't learned. Well, he's not educated either. He's not educated, right? It's not that he's no. dumb. He's just not educated. And he, yeah, you know, he, uh, but, it, uh, and you know what, going from there, like, that's, what's so good. What's really so compelling about this movie is the transformation that Jim Caviezel does. He it has this almost like puppy dog look when he goes early in the movie. Oh yeah, you know, you're and like, then oh, you're like, oh, I'm blessed, you know. He's but like you that. see it change throughout prison. Oh my god, and it's not just the fact that he's getting whipped and no, it's it's like, it's his look, is it's it's expression in his eyes when he finally figures out that Clarion was you know the guy's father. Yeah, because I don't think he knew. It he hadn't realized it. No, but had he know? How did he? I mean, he knew that uh, you know Mondego obviously uh, betrayed him because he had called the police. 
he and he had flat out said to him, I don't want to be, I shouldn't want to be like you. You're the son yeah. of a clerk. I'm a count. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, I'm the son of a count. You're the son of a clerk. I shouldn't want to be you. And, you know, they had that little that whole exchange, that, that, exchange. that sad just, sword fight. Just brutal. It's like someone being put, you know, like, man, it, it's just, it, it's one of those things like you feel for the character. And then when he's in jail and he's piecing everything together with the help of Richard Harris, you're like, oh man, he is slowly becoming more jaded and jaded and angry. Yeah. Just, and then when he finally, because even then, but even then, he, you know, he becomes educated through this soldier, but it doesn't mean he can act like a like a count. But he turns himself into a count, and he is a completely different persona. You know, oh, he totally does. He he because does the he, full one eighty. His voice is deeper. He carries himself differently. He obviously, you know beard and all he, that. he walks around with a full new confidence yeah. that you did not see the previous version of in the, in the yeah. previous version of edmund the other thing too it's almost like he's he moves almost like a predator prowling he's like very, even from like the first like the first instance that we get introduced to him as the count of monte cristo mm -hmm. that walk from the hot air balloon yeah down to the steps is it's almost like a prowl yeah it's very um i don't know the word i'm looking for but it it's very it's not menacing but no it's, it's not but it's not menacing but it's 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 like i don't know it's it, imposing I, it's imposing yeah that's a great one it's it's very imposing just the way he and it's just a walk what did he say greetings and that's like, all he says and that's you're like oh this is a different guy you know and it makes me think of when we were watching it you know is that you know they say for example you know the, the biggest issue for example superman going back to him is that how can people not recognize clark kent he's just wearing glasses but then same thing with this is you have he just has a goatee yeah. how does his best friend of his entire life not recognize him. But it's his ex-fiance not recognize ex him. But I mean, she kind of clues in almost She right picks it up right away. Like, practically right done. away. She's looking at him like, you got to be this guy, you know? But but what I was going to say was, I mean, there's a couple of reasons for that. He is carrying himself differently. Like, number one, they assume he's dead, right? Like, that's There's one. that too. Yeah, the assumption so is he's gone anyway. Like, you're just a guy that looks and like and they said it. No one escapes the Chateau Deef anyways. Yeah, so that's it's, like, that's it's, it's 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 literally an impenetrable fortress. Nobody goes in or out. Yeah, that's so that's a big one. But you know, when it comes to Mondego, like he is educated, he is you know he's aware. At least he should be aware. But when he sees him, it's one of those things that I would think because of his stature, you know, Mondego being a count, he just dismisses anyone who is lower class. Even his best friend, he sees he never him. really looked at him either. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that whole thing of he never really paid attention. Yeah. To Edmund in that sense, like they always had their adventures as young as as children or whatever. But the truth was, he was so insignificant mm -hmm. to Edmund, to him, like to Mondego, to Fernand. So that's why he doesn't recognize him. Yeah. No. And I, right. I and I, then, you know, the chancellor or whatever, the magistrate or whatever the heck, mm -hmm. you know, Asriel from Gotham was, mm -hmm. only met him once. So he's yeah. not going to remember his face. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. The same thing. Like he's not going to, he met him for what? Five minutes at most. Right. And you're not going to remember someone you met for five minutes, like 16 years ago. You know, you're just not like straight up. No, you're not. It's not going to happen. So it's not going to happen. No, it's not. <laughs> But, oh, man, you know, we I feel like we could talk more about this, but it's just, it really is such a great performance. And what's crazy is apparently Guy Pierce was up for the role of Edmond as well. Yeah, he was originally considered as a for Edmond. But he, he like, I feel like Guy Pierce plays one of the best bad guys. Like, he can play a bad guy any day of the week, you know? Doesn't matter yeah, how. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys, like, Alan Rickman was like that. Right, one of those actors that nailed being a villain, mm-hmm. or or right. like a villain quality, you know, um, a foil. But I mean, even in like that crap. Well, Guy Pierce was in Bloodshot, right, last year. Yeah, he was in. He's the villain, and it's like it's a crappy movie, but he still doesn't dial it in. He is the best part of that he's movie. The best part of the movie, and uh, he, even in Iron Man Three, he's one of the best parts of Iron Man Three. He is. And that's honestly, I believe it's because this guy, I mean, I'm pretty sure he, I don't know if he's theater trained, but the way he carries himself, I feel like he is the way he enunciates things. I I wouldn't doubt that he's theater trained. And I, 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 the the argument could be made that specifically like this movie, Count of Monte Cristo, you want, you want theater trained actors to be in these roles. Yeah. At least those one, Uh, but I, you know, I don't think Luis Guzman, I don't think he's a theater guy. Let me tell you. Hey, man, you don't know. Uh, you know, anyway. He was the best part, okay? How dare you? Uh, no, it really is. It's such a stellar cast. This movie did not do well at its opening weekend because it didn't have enough Luis Guzman. It didn't. They should have just made him Dantes. His last name is... No, Col- he should have played both Mondego and Dantes. He needed to get a different hairstyle, though. I'll tell you that much. That's... Uh, I'll give that. I'm like, how did... You know, with with Dantes now as a count, look at look at Jacopo's hair, man. Get him like fix it up. Come on, should have got him. <laughs> but oh man, I remember watching it in theaters, and like you know, as a kid, like there are certain moments in film that has nothing. I don't know. It's like when they find the treasure, right? When they find the treasure, right? Yeah, you're like that's so cool. Look at all that gold, you know? Like it, I don't know what it is. That's just such a cool yeah, man. It's such a cool thing, and. And you really don't realize how much gold there is there unless you're really paying attention to what Luis Guzman is saying. Because you didn't even realize it. You were, right. you even said to me, you're like, how much gold are they? Like, how much does everything cost? They literally gave no, 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 no. a I wagon knew- of gold away. No, and no, no. The- I, I knew how much. My my, I, I knew how much from, like, you see a little bit. But when he had said uh, eight boatloads, I'm thinking, yeah. what, that little canoe? Like, that's that's a lot. I mean, still, that's like freaking that's a lot of gold and treasure but i'm assuming they actually meant like a nice sail and it was like a sailboat right like crazy well i think that's what they actually had yeah right or 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 maybe even bigger because let's not forget he is getting the gold shipped in to port no but but that's the thing was he getting it shipped into port or did he ship it from another spot that he had brought it to already no because no, my one thing that i said was when jacopo says you mean the gold and again that was all a ploy to get albert yeah. to tell his dad but it's like again if i know it doesn't matter how rich i am like i'm thinking back then 
if I know that there's a whole thing, a treasure, I'm not yeah. trusting anyone else to get it. I'm going to get it. Because what are they going to do? They can literally take all that treasure and go anywhere else. You'll yeah. find them. This is like the 1700s, 18, no, it was like 1815 or something like that. This is so long ago. It's not like you could find someone like that. You still can't even do it now. No. So, yeah, sorry. I'm pretty sure. So, pretty bottom sure. line, always pick up your own gold. Yeah. Oh, breaking? <laughs> That's, there's one and, way. And learn Braille. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You have to learn Braille. Cause... It's the most important thing. It is. It is. It's good. I mean, you know, no disrespect to the blind community, but I feel like more. <laughs> I'm sort of part of that community. So no, no disrespect to the blind community. <laughs> but, you know, I think more and more people should learn Braille. Yes. I feel like it, I feel like <laughs> you could read while still looking at somebody. I'm just saying. Exactly. You could have like a full on like, like that, I, that might be sensory overload, though. I feel like it would. But could you imagine if you could like talk to somebody, look at something else, read while listening to music too? Read with your hands while listening to music? Yo, you would be some sort of crazy genius. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. Totally. Luis Guzman level. Anyways, guys, before we go on any more tangents and say more ridiculous things, it has now come time in the episode where we rate these movies out of five ginger snaps. And Josh, how many ginger snaps do you give the Count of Monte Cristo? Look, as an actual film, I'm yeah. going to go a little different. As an actual film, I would not, like, I'll not give it a five out of five because I don't think, I mean, it's, that's imp- it's impossible. It's not a perfect movie, right? There are things in it that bug me. Superman is, and this has two well, one possible Superman. Yeah. Insane. It's like Superman and a half, you know? But like, <laughs> but I would say, oh man, we didn't even talk about that sword fight at the end either, which is so goddamn good. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's not even drawn out. You know, sometimes, you know, nope. you know, again, you look at a movie like Batman versus Superman, where it's two and a half hours leading up to this one fight and the fight is only a few minutes and you're like, good Lord. This movie is literally leading up to that fight as well. And it's even shorter than the Batman versus Superman fight, but that's what makes it so good. It's just like, there's, there's no playing around. It's they finally get to it. Boom, 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 boom. It lasts maybe all of five minutes, not even, maybe two. Gritty as hell. Awesome. I feel like there was more drama. hundred, well, that whole last moment. Right. There's reveals himself as Dantes. When he finds out Albert's his son, when his fiance gets that, like the, the fa- okay that that you bring up Batman versus Superman, it, it just shows though. Here's here's the difference. Here it is. By the time that Batman and Superman fight in that movie, we're already tired of the movie. Yes, right. It it the, the runtime. You feel it. Mm-hmm. You really do feel the runtime in Batman versus Superman. And by the time you get to that fight, you want to be mesmerized yeah right you want something fantastic you want something spectacular and it it, it doesn't deliver no. for whatever reason it just by the time you get to that because i i would argue on its own on its own on its own merits if that was a shorter movie or if it was just like the clip itself and you go looking at the clip the fight's probably awesome but it's now dumped at the end and it's not even really the end no because of, 
they shoehorn other stuff in it. Exactly. Of a movie that's already having way too many things shoehorned into it. That's already, you're feeling the runtime. You are feeling it. Mm-hmm. And there isn't enough drama built or at least enough of a reason mm-hmm. for these guys to actually have a legitimate altercation. Yeah. Now, going back to the Count of Monte Cristo, everything, every event in that movie leads up to that moment. Yeah. Everything. Like, it could be argued every conversation. Like, every single discussion, at least involving Edmund Dantes or even Mondego to an extent, right? Like, aside from, like, a few, few things here and there, but everything is building to this moment mm-hmm. and it's so much better executed and it just it, it helps that you don't feel the two-hour runtime mm-hmm. i mean i watched this movie i know it's two hours but by the time i i cat i get to the end of it i i don't feel like i've been sitting there for two hours i feel like it's only been an hour and a half yeah the like, movie moves so so quickly yeah and, and there's so much in there. There, it doesn't have a real lull. No, it doesn't. Even right even in the jail, the prison is when it could feel the longest, and it doesn't because they don't spend. They spend enough time by himself. They spend enough time with Richard Harris, and then his escape. It's like it. it there's no point in the movie where. I mean, you could again. Oh, here's here's the thing: argue. they don't spend too much time of him being alone in prison because yeah. that's not the point of him being there. Yeah, no, it's true. Like it's it's it's. I feel like if this was it, it, this could have been done differently in the sense that you know they make that time of him being by himself instead of like a little montage of time passing. It's more things yeah. of him just like going through. Yeah, it and it's like it, it doesn't have to be that. And it, again, you could even get away with not showing that passage of time. You can get away with it, but it's just you kind of have to. It's it fits so well in this in this version of the movie mm-hmm. that you forgive it. Yeah, same thing. Like you could argue that it, and it doesn't. But you could argue it could get slow when he meets the pirates. But he has to meet them because they're part of his schemes later anyway. And then when he finally goes back home to Marseille, right? That's where he's from, right? It's Marseille. Yeah. When he finally goes home. And he, it's not his grandfather, but it's like someone he knew who doesn't recognize him. What's that? It's his old boss. His old boss. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like uh, it could be that part could get slow, but again, it's not a long enough scene or there's not, it's not, they don't drown it there. It's not him like walking through the streets, like talking. It's like, he talks like one person, he's gone, you know, that's it. And, um, yeah, so anyway, all that stuff being said. So how many ginger snaps do you give this movie? So, like I was going to say, as a movie itself, I-, I give it a four and a half. You know, there are mistakes in it. Or like, not mistakes, but things I could see that people not liking. You know, sometimes Mercedes, she always sounds sad. Even when she's happy. You know, something like that. You know, <laughs> letting Luis Guzman speak pretty much with his like Californian or like American Mexican accent. He's Puerto Rican, actually. Oh, damn it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I looked it up. He's Puerto. I, th- I believe he's Puerto Rican. I you told me he's a Mexican. Okay. But- I wasn't sure. Okay, I looked it up before the show. Sorry, Luis Guzman. It's okay. We got but- it right. It's been corrected. But him speaking with that, like, again, I could see people bothered by it, but no, it's a four and a half. But as a viewing experience, I, to this day, I remember seeing it in theaters, and it's a five out of five for me. It's still, It's still such a surprisingly good movie. 
and I enjoy the hell out of it every single time I watch it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with a four and a half too. This movie is just, it's fun. It is. It is a lot of fun to watch, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't slow down for, you, for me anyways. Uh, and I said that a bunch of times already. Uh, the, the sword fighting is good. I mean, I, to be honest, I would have liked another another like at least one or two more sword fights or something like that but it it's not important to the story and maybe yeah that maybe that might have even hindered it if they had more sword fights or anything like that well that's it you could have seen them actually have a sword fight with the guy in the sauna you know and and but yeah i don't know why it's like yeah maybe i'd like to see it because sword fights are just cool in general and i agree with you there yeah i think it, it it's not missed for me no i mean i i just like i like seeing them because you know, There's growing so- up, I would watch like the old, uh, the old Robin Hood movies with Daryl Flynn with my grandfather. He loved that mm. the whole swashbuckling and sword fighting yeah. and all that stuff. You yeah. know, and I, I, I like it too to an extent. It's fun. It's Three Musketeers. Cool little, you know? Sorry. Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers is another good one. You know, and, and like all this swashbuckling stuff. I mean, it was fun to see it even in um, Pirates, uh, Hook. All that fun stuff, right? But I mean, like, yeah, it's not like it's missed in this. Mm-hmm. There is, a, and again, it, it also goes back to you haven't seen all this other cuckoo bananas type of fighting leading up to the final fight because that's the only fight that matters in the movie. Yeah. And you just know, though, I mean, what's cool, the training actually is pretty cool, though, still. Uh, yeah. But you know, he, he has become like this crazy fighter, you know? You see, he could have killed Mondego in like a second. Mm-hmm. Heck, Albert stops him. He just pushes his sword out of the way and he's ready. Like a second. He can take them both out. Like no problem. Oh, totally. Totally. You know, it's not until they finally get out in the open where, you know, that's it. Mondego kind of gets a jump on him a little bit because he's got the horse. Uh, you know, Dantes has had a little bit of a, a blow to him with his, you know, with Mercedes being shot. So it, he wants that revenge, but he's shaking a little but still. Man, mm-hmm. you see, Montego's got both swords, and then Edmond gets it, takes it, like, still takes him out. Oh yeah, man! Like it's crazy after that. It's yeah, uh, four and a half for me. I mean, this this movie's a lot of fun. Uh, I recommend you know you watch it after you've read it with Braille, with Braille. <laughs> or if you don't want to do that, you can always check out the audiobook. I mean, it's possible too. But <laughs> I guess we'll wait. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, I got nothing. Oh, you're saying to the audience? Yeah, I'm talking to the audience, telling them to go ahead. We'll wait. Pause it now. Pause it now. Pause it now. I am admin. Dantes. Dantes. Dantes and Egger. Dantes and Egger. I'm the Edmond and Egger. But I think it would have made this movie gross a lot more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he would have been like Last Action Hero. Remember Last Action Hero where he's Hamlet? And like kind of. Yeah. You know, what was that kid's Austin Saint. Austin Green? Austin. Whatever that kid's name was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's watching Hamlet and he's fantasizing Schwarzenegger as Hamlet. To be or not to be, not to be like doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Revenge is all I have. I don't think he would have made it out of the prison though. He's too big. You expect those guys to carry him out of the prison in a bag? Are you crazy? But at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, Jim Caviezel's even bigger. Like not not wider, like not muscular, but he's taller. He's six four. Schwarzenegger's six two. How tall was uh, Richard Harris? Not as tall as that. There's no way he was six. Richard Harris was seven feet tall. The original. 
he was he gave up a basketball career. Bumble Shack. <laughs> Bumble Shack. I want that to be a movie. Okay. Bumble Shack. And this and it's sung by the B-52s, like the theme song. Instead of like Love Shack, it's Dumble Shack. Dumble Shack. Dumble Shack, baby. Okay, so Richard Harris was like six feet tall. So he wasn't small. He wasn't small. Comparable. Yeah, comparable. So it's quite comparable. So, okay. So then him, you know, escaping that way would have worked. Yeah. Anyways, guys, Josh, where can they find our social media before we go any more crazy? Tonight? Um, guys, if you want to find us, we're on Instagram at GingerFlixPod, one word. Uh, Twitter at FlixPod, one word. YouTube at GingerFlixPod. And even TikTok at GingerFlixPod, one word. And Flix is always spelt with that X, folks, because X marks the ginge. The ginge. Anyways, guys, thanks again for listening. For GingerFlix, I'm Joey. And I'm Josh. And we'll catch up with you soon. See you guys.